if you listened to that new song and thought, oh What's no, going on? what is that? We're doing something new here on Scary Tales, where if we think an episode might have not as much content as, say, like... Alice in Wonderland. Yes. We are going to call them Tiny Tales. Isn't that we cute? Are. And we're going to try to make them tiny. We are. Can't promise that. We can't promise I it, never know how long an episode's going to be. It's yes. just wherever our minds take us. We're going to try to make them tiny, though. Mm-hmm. And today's Tiny Tale, um, we're going to talk about unicorns. Which... You know, we we film things in advance, uh-huh. uh huh. So we're not actually we don't film the day we we record, but we yeah. are actually. I literally just found out uh, we are recording this the day after National Unicorn Day. Wow. The April 9th is National Unicorn Day in celebration of the often candy-colored magical horned horse. Wow. So new. When you first said, "Hey, maybe we should do an episode on unicorns," I was like, "Well, I don't. There's not going to be anything on unicorns because." Unicorns just don't exist. But there, period. But there is, is some there are interesting things. Stuff. There's things. There that, things. There's enough things to fill out a Tiny Tales episode. That's true. So. And uh, ironically, a true crime episode. Mm-hmm. So and unicorns. There's a snack about it. So mm-hmm. you ready? Ready, ready, ready. All right. So you know, fun fact number one: April 9th is apparently National Unicorn Day. We all know we've all had experience with unicorns. These magical creatures have appeared in some sort of story or movie, or book, or whatever that you've experienced. I mean, enter Harry Potter, right? Mm-hmm. Classic. Um, it's a classic fairy tale staple. The earliest description of a unicorn can be found in Greek literature from 400 BCE by a historian named Cetaceus, I'm going to guess. Looks good to me. Um, not surprising that this house foundation foundations in Greek literature. Uh, this unicorn was described or this person described the unicorn as having a white body the size of a horse, a purple head, blue eyes, and a tricolored horn. Uh, the horn was white at the base, black in the middle, and then red on the very tip. So not what not really I what think. We, I always picture unicorns white with either a white mane or purple cotton candy colored. Yeah. Which I, it, the the multicolor does come from mm-hmm. this, although I do feel like that's a lot of colors. This would have freaked me out if I had seen it. Some say that unicorns can be found in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, some people have uh, have looked at different translations of the words, and there's been reference to a horned creature, horned horse, uh, that's been mentioned eight times. Uh, today, the only edition of the Bible that still has the word unicorn in it is the authorized King James Version of the Bible, we now know that this is a not necessarily a fully accurate translation of the Bible. It's not accurate at all. Right. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the language, because mm-hmm. uh, you lose a lot in translation. Mm-hmm. So when they were translating this from Hebrew to Greek and all the other languages that then came after that, a lot of these words get translated differently than original meanings. The original transcript of the Bible had mentioned this one horned animal called the Raum, R-E apostrophe E-M, multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Greek scholars knew through context clues this, this anim- that this animal was strong and that it had one horn. Honestly, most people think it sounds more like a rhinoceros than a unicorn. Mm-hmm. But other passages are putting them putting this ram in the same category as like cows and oxes, which 
makes us associate it more with farm mm-hmm. animals than, you know, tribal like rhinoceroses. It describes the ram calves skipping, which is not something done by baby rhinos. I've never seen a baby rhino skip. Yeah, I'm not. I don't. I, they're too I big. Don't, I don't. Also analyze like the movements also, of animals. I also haven't seen a lot of baby rhinos, so could be that could be the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it, most people also kind of picture that more like a baby goat, kind of mm-hmm. like the little hopping. Yeah, they uh, baby goats for sure skip, especially right. the little pygmy I was about ones. to say, I wasn't really thinking of skipping with calves. I do think of that more as like a little baby goat, which those do have two horns. Mm-hmm. So it could just, it is possible that this is kind of, it could have been like a genetic mutation where it just had the one horn. Um, since this, the ram have been hunted out of existence, no one can, existence, no one can really pinpoint what that animal actually was. They were probably either hunted out of existence or with the great flood, not all of the animal species survived. So, mm-hmm. We don't currently have these rayum that are referred to, which is why a lot of people associate the horned beast more with rhinos, goats, things like that. Because this sounded more like a horse or goat-like creature with one horn, that's why it got translated as unicorn, which literally means one horn, just because that was the closest word that they could use to like literally fit the transcript, the description. Makes sense. But by adding the, or by transcribing it, it, translating it into the word unicorn, it caused like a generation of people to believe that the Bible was giving them, there's two camps of people, you know, people who either believe that the Bible was giving them solid proof that mythological creatures actually existed at one time in history. And then there's another camp of people that they think that translation means everything in the Bible is wrong. Mm-hmm. Because we know unicorns t- today in the way we know of them don't exist. So mm-hmm. kind of two camps. Either the mythology is real or everything in the Bible is not. I kind of lean towards this type of animal probably did, maybe did exist. And there's all sorts of animals. It's just that not a magical that unicorn that we're thinking of. it's not magic. Yeah. Today we think of it more as the magic. I wish there were. I'd like to think there are. Oh, yeah. For the people who love fairy tales and stories, mm-hmm. that's the hope. Today, modern scholars believe that the Rayum was the uh, oryx or like wild ox, which are now extinct. So mm-hmm. again, lots of animals that used to exist that aren't aren't in existence now. Mm-hmm. Just because they translated the word to right. unicorn for what they were saying did not mean that the magical unicorns existed. Right, because it doesn't say anywhere. It it never in the Bible talks about this animal as a magical being. Mm-hmm. It just talks about it as a one-horned being. There was no magical element to mm-hmm. it. As this biblical animal, I think eventually the unicorn was kind of interpreted, you know, allegorically in the early church. So it does end up kind of getting some some story elements to it rather than just an animal. One of the earliest such interpretations appears in the ancient Greek bestiary known as Physiologus, uh, which is which states that the unicorn is a strong, fierce animal that can be caught only if a virgin maiden is placed before it. <laughs> the unicorn will then leap into the virgin's lap and she will suckle it and it and leads it to the king's palace. Did thank tell you, me describe Greek. suckles it. You know. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you, Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Greek mythology takes everything and just puts lots a, of suckling. Puts a twist to it mm-hmm. that most people did not want to know about. 
Then later in medieval times, medieval writers would kind of put this unicorn, would liken the unicorn to Christ as something uh, kind of reverent, who was raised, someone who has raised up a horn of salvation for mankind, um, dwelt in the womb of the Virgin Mary. So they were taking this like unique thing plus the connection to the Virgin and they were making it like a correlation for Jesus. Okay. Not one I grew sure. up. Not one I grew up hearing. No. Later, Marco Polo, the famous Italian explorer, said that he actually saw one of these creatures in the 13th I'll century. Bet he did. Yeah. And here's what he had to say: "Quote, their hair was like that of a buffalo, and their feet like those of an elephant. In the middle of the forehead, they have a very large black horn. Their head is like that of a wild boar." and is always carried bent to the ground. They delight in living in mire and in mud. It is a hideous beast to look at, and in no way like what we think and say in our countries, namely a beast that lets itself be taken into the lap of a virgin. Indeed, I assure you that it is quite the opposite of what we say it is. Okay. I don't know what he was looking at, but I'm not going to go with the unicorn. Uh, No. I also was reading how people in this time period, let's say if you lived in America or what was known as America, and someone told you about a giraffe, like a unicorn sounded more believable than a giraffe. Like someone right, telling you there's like a horse with a neck with, that's like skyscraper long. Yeah. I'd be like, there's no way. There's no way. But a they horse actually with existed. a horn. Mm-hmm. I could, sure. I could get behind that. Yeah. Other legends, and see, then this is where the more stories people start to tell about it, the more wild they get. Mm-hmm. Other legends then start to talk about the horn's ability to purify liquids, to heal wounds, kind of like the elixir mm-hmm. type of stuff. So because of that, unicorns were hunted for their magical properties, even by royalty, which I think royal people were just looking for something interesting to do with their yeah royal with their days lives and, and all their not, wealth yeah all their wealth why not mm-hmm. unicorns uh, Elizabeth the first Henry the eighth Charles the ninth all supposedly owned unicorn horns unicorn horns yeah air I'm gonna put that in air quotes, quotes because um, you know you know they found a goat and just mm-hmm. took a goat's horn and called sure it a unicorn did. horn because it was believed that these horns could purify liquids and had this magical power royalty would often have their cups made out of quote unicorn horn to protect them against poisons mm-hmm. some people just had a cup bearer who would drink the oh yeah who would drink their their liquid and make sure it wasn't poisoned yep. but then you had the other people who mm-hmm. had unicorn cups which was honestly probably just ivory taken from elephant tusk or like narwhal horns let me tell you about narwhals we could do it's episode like, of narwhals. Yeah, it's kind of like, the they're kind of like sea. dinosaurs to me. Like, I know they're real, but every time I think about one, I'm like, where are they real? Yeah. I've, uh, never, what... I've never seen a, a dinosaur skeleton. All mm-hmm. I know about dinosaurs is that scientists that I don't know tell me. But I think that's part of why, like, a lot of people think unicorns could have existed. Because, honestly, that's more realistic to me. I mean, you have so many horned animals. Uh-huh. That I guess there's not ever been a skeleton of a unicorn found by archaeologists. Right. If, if there was, it would probably look like a horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I don't know. So why is it unicorn and not unicorn? Because now I'm just picturing a horse with a big, big old, old co- corn cob, corn coming, out cobs out coming out of his head. That goes back to the Greeks as well. 
they, their word monokeros, uh, the H at the beginning of the old English word horn didn't sound like ours. So there's again, some of this translation, uh, between old English, Greek, mm-hmm. modern English, Scottish, right? So it, they, it was this kind of scraping of the tongue in the back of the mouth Ooh. sound, <laughs> which <laughs> just like that, mm-hmm. kind of this voiceless, just friction. Uh-huh. That, that was a nice way to that describe that. That was beautiful. Uh, like the Scott, you're, you you love this. Yeah, it's kind of like how the Scott say lock, like lock, Nesma. I just ruined that because well, I lock can't. Lock is L-O-C-H, which we would say lotch, mm-hmm. but they say it's a lock. the K. You got it. It's like almost like a loogie hawk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which ends up sounding more like unicorn than horn. Yeah. So we solved that mystery for there you. you. Go. Mm-hmm. It's not because they have a big old corn cob coming out of their head. This is not sure, is it? Um, and know. and a little, a little know, bit about unicorns. A little tiny tidbit. Yep. And um, we have further tiny a tiny tale after that. But right we now, do. we're going to get let's get, snack a, break. let's get a tiny snack. Let's do it. Tiny snack ah. break. Gonna get a snack break and I'm it's still, tiny. I'm still sipping on my snack break. We have a great snack break today, and we that do. is the frozen bean. The frozen bean. The, our friends over at the frozen bean were kind enough to send us a gift card, mm-hmm. which actually that was really cool because a lot of times when we um, talk to companies, they kind of send us what they think is, you know, their favorite products or bestsellers or whatever, uh-huh, which uh, is great, which is great. You know, I, I always trust their, uh-huh. their judgment, but frozen bean sent us a gift card. So we just ordered a bunch of stuff. You want me to tell you what we ordered? Yeah. 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 Mocha latte frappe mix, cookies and cream frappe mix, chocolate peppermint frappe mix, Ooh. sea salt caramel latte frappe mix, <laughs> cinnamon roll hot mix, hot drink mix, like a hot chocolate, mm-hmm. uh, matcha mint choc mint chip and Frapp- mint chip frappe and latte mix. That one was hard to say. Mm-hmm. And a unicorn frappe mix. There you, there, there it, is. it is. I knew it was coming. Uh, w- which, I mean, we got a lot of stuff to try. We did. They, this is a cool company. This is super easy to make. So obviously they kind of fee- uh, focus on frappe blends. So they're kind of known for three things. Uh, first one, instant and incredibly tasty. So their coffee is very quick and easy to make it is a fraction of the cost of what it would take what you would pay if you were getting it in the store it was super easy i mean we basically added the pack milk ice ice, milk boom started up there super easy to make second thing their ingredients they uh, are really put a focus on their ingredients their coffee products are sourced from colombia and are made with 100 percent um, Arabic, Arabic, Arabica coffee beans. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of their products have caffeine in them. Some of them are caffeine free. So that's also an option for you and their flavors. You want to tell us about some of these flavors? The, a couple especially caught Lacey's eye. Well, there, there was a mermaid flavor, which was unfortunately sold out. We need to go back for that when we're, we do the mermaid we're episode. We're a return client at this point. So. But there's also a unicorn frappe, which is perfect for our lives in this podcast. And it's kind of like, uh, I almost thought it was like a bubble gummy, um, cotton candy, pink, just really sweet flavored. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because they've got all sorts of different, they've got your classic flavors, but they've also got very like innovative flavors like your uh, mermaid, uh, unicorn, bubblegum, cotton candy, birthday yeah. cake. So um, there's something for everybody. There really is. And we uh, today are sipping on the cookies and cream. Just a classic. It is classic and it's very good. It is. Um, I drank mine in like five Lacey, seconds. Hannah's been sipping on hers for I've a while. I've been sipping on mine for a while. Lacey, I think we walked from the kitchen to the room where we podcast and she was done. I was like, Did, are you already done? Uh-huh. It was good. Yeah. She just downed that. That's thing. how I do it. We are actually uh, working on becoming affiliate partners with them. So we are going to get you guys a discount code mm-hmm. and we will post that on our Instagram account. We'll also show you some of the, the different uh, packages that we got and some of the mixes that we made. and But if you're looking for something fun and tasty and new to try. And quick. And quick, you need to check out The Frozen Bean. Yes, you can find them over at thefrozenbean.com. And they're delicious. And check them out on Instagram. Check them out. All right. It's time for some true crime, Hannah. That was really loud. I'm sorry. And here we go. But you're wondering what kind of true crime involves a unicorn besides Voldemort eating unicorns out in the Forbidden Forest. You are wondering that because you yourself wondered that when I suggested we do an episode on unicorns. Uh-huh, but you, you sent me something. You found something. I did, which, I mean, it's a stretch of a connection. But it's it a stretch, but it worked. And he was literally known as the Unicorn Killer. So which you... What a name. What a name. Um, if you were going to be a killer, I mean... First of all, don't give somebody a majestic-sounding serial killer name. And and his name has nothing to do with unicorns other than, like, one Mm -hmm. small thing. So today we're telling the story of Ira Einhorn. Uh, He was dubbed the Unicorn Killer because his name in German translates to one horn. And there you go. And that's it. The rest of the story, nothing about unicorns. Nobody gets stabbed with the unicorn horn. He didn't study unicorns. But... Stabbing people with a unicorn horn? What yeah. I mean, that could be a. But would it really hurt them? Because it would just purify their blood. I, I, Probably plot, be good. Kind of like dialysis. Think, plot twist: He thinks he's a serial killer, and when he stabs he people with a unicorn horn, he gives them eternal life. And that's the end of the tri- true crime. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I wish was the story. Uh, okay, Unfortunately, so. Unfortunately, it's not. Ira was born in Philadelphia in 1940 to just your average middle class Jewish family. He was the oldest of two sons, and his father was a car salesman, and his mother was a quote-unquote homemaker. I think that was pretty quammon. It was pretty quammon. <laughs> it was pretty quammon at the time. By his 20s, Ira had become a radical, quote-unquote, left-wing activist, and he led the charge against youth-driven movements that opposed the Vietnam War. Which I think stuff like that was not totally, like, crazy for back then. Yeah. I think that was pretty, but I, that was the thing to the, do. That, but that mm-hmm. was just the tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg, tip of the unicorn horn. He stood out among the crowd. He was a large, burly man with bright blue eyes. But I think what most made him stand out most was he was always unkempt and he rarely bathed or changed his clothes. He was making a statement. Because he was known as Philadelphia's head hippie. And mm-hmm. so he's a couple of I'll never understand the like getting behind the not bathing or whatever. That's just not sanitary, but yeah, not for teach me. their own. 
He became an outstanding student at the University of Pennsylvania, where he graduated with an English degree. There you go, Hannah. In 1961. Which, you know, he's not giving English degree holders a good a, name. A good name. No, no. He would eventually go on to teach at Harvard. Good so him. we are an intelligent dude. Which most of these types of people end up They're like, always nah, intelligent. Yep. While he was there, he met many influential people who began to look up to him and follow his lessons on peace and freedom, which is the irony irony of that, yes. He became close with many authors of the Beat Generation. Do you want to go ahead and sing Go ahead and sing what I'm about to sing. We got the beat, we got... You know. Yeah, I think, isn't that song what this is It's about? Maybe, I don't know. Um, the Beat Generation was a group of authors that influenced American culture and politics during the time of the Vietnam War, and it was said that their central elements of, or the central elements of the Beat culture was the rejection of standard narrative values, making a spiritual quest, the exploration of American and Eastern religions, the rejection of economic materialism, explicit portrayals of the human condition, experimentation with psychedelic drugs, and sexual liberation and exploration. Which not all of those things on that list are bad. Right. Like, I can get behind... The psychedelic drugs. Not that part. (laughs) I can get behind, like, exploring their religions or, like, other cultures' religions or the rejection of economic materialism, the portrayals of human conditions. Like, I can get behind some of those things. Yeah. But there were some that pushed this over the edge. Pushed the boundary, pushed the envelope. Basically, it's just a group of quote-unquote hippies. Mm-hmm. He also became close to several celebrities, which I'm not going to lie, I had to look up who these people were, so don't come at me, but Isaac Asimov, is that how you say his name? Sure. Um, already forgot who he was. <laughs> I think he was an author or something. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Peter Gabriel, I do know him from a Rocket Summer song, but he was a musician, and Yuri Geller, who's apparently a, ma- a, a magician. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, strangely enough, Ira also became very popular with the corporate scene, which I don't, I don't understand. Like this big burly man that doesn't bathe, like being but in the also corporate he world. But like a Harvard mm-hmm. dude, so yeah. They were interested in his ideas on future trends on anything from computer science to quantum physics to new age management, and he actually sold blueprints of the future <laughs> to. <laughs> to Fortune 500 company CEOs and would convince them that their money could save the world through ecological awareness. I love that. Blueprints of the future. I want to... Give me one of those. I know. I'd love to see what that looks like. In 1970 was the very first Earth Day, which Ira said he created. Now, I looked at many things on this. Some people agreed that he did help create Earth Day. Other people said that he didn't. He He was probably there. He probably thinks he also created... National Unicorn Unicorn Day. Day. Yeah, for sure. As the Washington Post once put it, he had a gift for talking businessmen out of their money and attractive women out of their bell bottoms. Okay. So he was also a ladies man. I guess they liked the big, burly, smelly, unbathed mm -hmm. man. A lot of Ira's behavior could be described as that of a a stereotypical hippie. He did a lot of drugs, namely acid and LSD. And one report says that while he was teaching at the University of Pennsylvania, he stripped naked in class and brought out joints for everybody to pass no, around. thank you. I wonder what lesson that was. I, I just, I feel like he was kind of just such a celebrity that Mm-mm. I feel like, you know, girls fawned over him because of more of his celebrity status than his actual, like, person. Yeah. 
And he probably got away with doing stuff like this because, again, because of his celebrity status. Yeah. Despite rarely braid, braiding, braiding, he's just sitting there just toking on a cig, <laughs> braiding women's hair. I could see it. wouldn't surprise me. Despite rarely bathing and being known as smelly, Ira was a self-proclaimed ladies' man. I think that was like the thing women were into back in that day. I don't know. One day in 1972, he met a beautiful blonde named Helen Maddox, um, but people called her Holly. So Holly Maddox, she was born in 1947 in Tyler, Texas, and her family consisted of her parents and four siblings. So they're in Texas. Um, their family, and she was known to come from a more conservative background, so keep that yeah, in mind. She's from the South, mm -hmm. Bible Belt. She was known for being absolutely beautiful. People described her as erythral or mesmerizing. <laughs> Ethereal. I'm, I'm thinking just straight hospital. You're <laughs> Oh, it's been way too much time there. <laughs> was, oh, mm, you hate to look urethral <laughs> people. <laughs> okay. What I meant to say there was ethereal. <laughs> Angelic, one would say, would have been an easier word. Better word for you to say. <laughs> As a teenager, Holly did well in school and enjoyed art and dance and was also a good cheerleader. Well-rounded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After high school, she left Texas to attend Bryn Mawr College in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania, which is about 14 miles west of Philadelphia. And she also graduated with a... I keep thinking of the word urethral, and I'm going to... Hold on. Okay. She also graduated with a degree in English. So there you go. All which, these people tied back to Hannah. Thank you. Uh, I don't want to be tied to Ira, but I imagine this is where they met and kind of they've got mm -hmm, some common mm -hmm. ground. So Ira's in Philadelphia. For sure, for sure. They, they probably talked books. Yeah. Holly and Ira's relationship moved quickly, and just two weeks after they started dating, Holly moved in with Ira. Uh, that Nev is very quick. Never a good idea, but these Again, people are free and just... And celebrity status. And they were, oh, right. they were part of, you know, mm -hmm. they were interested in rejecting these, you know standard societal norms and so they were like yeah yeah that's fine two weeks is fine unfortunately their relationship was tumultuous surprise Shocker. surprise ira insisted on having an open relationship um, i also am not surprised mm -mm. holly once told one of her friends that ira forced her to have sex with other people while he watched ira would often go to parties with holly but leave with whoever he wanted other females there was also physical abuse involved that's just about every red flag you could possibly have yeah. right there in that one but like they're hippies and like love should be spread not no love should be what is that excuse. quote on the duggars for that show where they have a bunch of oh, love no. should be multiplied not divided <laughs> I like who it. knew the duggars had a connection to ira einhorn despite their relationship woes holly eventually brought ira home to texas to meet her family remember i said that they're from texas I bet her family they lost it they he walked in and they said what the yeah that, I'm, i would love to have been a fly on the wall mm -hmm. during that meeting as you can imagine this didn't go great during the prayer before the family meal ira picked at sores on his body Ew, i read what, that what Ew. what are what kind of source we got? What kind of STDs probably, we got? Probably drug mm. and something from drugs, mm -hmm. too. He ate ravenously, and after the meal, put his feet on the table. Ew. Mm-hmm. Holly's brother, John, said Ira was too dominating over Holly. Never a good sign. Her sister, Buffy, which... That, 
Yes. Holly and Buffy. Love that and name. And John. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffy said that he was a slob and obnoxious, and she also claimed he later hit on her in a romantic sense. Just to be clear, not an abusive sense, but still. Despite all of this, Holly and Ira kept on their on-off-again romance for at least five years. Five years she was up in that smelly business. That's too long for a relationship like that to last, Mm -hmm. just FYI to our listeners. In the late summer or early fall of 1977, the couple went on vacation to London, paid for with money that Holly had saved up. Big surprise there. They were joined joined there by Buffy, and Holly told her sister she planned on leaving Ira when they got back to the U.S. I guess, you know, just enjoy the trip while they're there, and when she gets back... You take your loser boyfriend Mm -hmm. on a trip, and you're going to dump him when you get back? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buffy would be the last family member to see Holly, so this is is where this is going. Holly eventually left Ira in London, and I couldn't really figure out why Ira stayed in London instead of coming back to the States, but she came back where she rented an apartment in NYC, and she cut her hair, which is what a lot of girls do when they have a good breakup, and started dating a guy named Saul Lapidus. And Ira was not happy with this. Shocker. On September 9th, 1977, 30-year-old Holly was on Saul's boat, which I guess Saul's got some money. Good for her. Yeah, get it, girl. When she got a call from Ira. Ira had gathered up all of her things still left behind at his apartment and threatened to throw them into the street if she didn't come get them. Holly called a few people to see if they could pick up her things, but nobody could. Or nobody wanted to. I bet to. all of those people now are just like, yeah. feel bad. But also, what things could you possibly have left? That just leave like it behind. That bad, with, yeah. Like that you would go see that bad of a dude mm-hmm. to go get. Holly did not want to go back to Ira's apartment, and Saul did not want her to go back, which why... Did he not go with her or stop her? I don't know. But nevertheless, she ended up going back. And once she arrived at Ira's apartment, they apparently went to a movie with another couple, which uh, maybe, maybe uh, Holly was just a nice girl and was like, I mean, yeah, sure we can, she was, but like we can be friends. We can go to a movie. I don't know. But after that, no one ever saw Holly again. So it had been several weeks. Holly's parents became concerned because Holly never forgot to send her mom a birthday card. Okay, yeah, so she, she is a nice girl. Mm-hmm. Holly's mom's birthday came up. She didn't get a card, and they grew very concerned and called the Philadelphia police. Members of Holly's family asked Ira directly where Holly was, and at first he said he didn't know, but then later he said she'd left his apartment to visit a local co-op but never returned. Okay, so he's changing his story. Mm-hmm. Red flag. He also claimed he'd gotten a call from her a few days after saying she was fine. Ira also told Holly's mom that she'd simply left him and was traveling on her own. Likely story, Ira. We don't believe a word you say. At one point, both he and one of Holly's friends claimed that Holly was at a commune in India. Like, just throwing that out there. Though Holly's friend claimed to have gotten this information from a medium. Okay. Reliable. Yeah. We're, we're, we're a group of hippies, so I don't don't know what we're doing. Um, so despite their initial suspicion of Ira, police also started to believe Holly had left willingly. And you know, she is part of this hippie beat generation movement. It's probably not too far stretched. That's not out of the ordinary. Yeah. But an, a commune in India without saying goodbye Uh, to her family that she was close to. That's about as like, un, unlike 
able to communicate as possible. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to set up that. You're not going to be able to reach her. Yeah, she's all the way in India. The way in they India. don't have telephones over there. Holly's parents eventually hired private detectives who were able to uncover some pretty incriminating evidence. One night in the fall of 1977, a man by the name of Paul Heer, who lived in the apartment below Ira's, said that he heard a scream from Ira's apartment, and at first he didn't think much of it. Um, there were always loud parties in the neighborhood. I don't know. Would you think? Um, would you think much of it? I don't know. I mean, not in a college type town. Yeah, and and all the drugs that were involved, you know, that were so common mm-hmm. that that and yeah, in the sixties, seventies. But then a brown reddish liquid started to leak from his ceiling. Yeah, that one would be more probably mm-hmm. more shocking than the scream. Or mm-hmm. the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paul called his landlord, who called a plumber. But there was one bedroom closet that Ira refused to let the plumber in, and the neighbors also reported a foul smell coming from the apartment. I'm not sure why the plumber would go in a closet anyway, but right. But still, I don't know how that works. He's like, Maybe. "Hey, I know, I know that you're here to look at the toilet, but don't go in this that closet, closet over here. Off limits. No, sir. There are no pipes in there for no. you to look at, but still, mm-hmm. you can't go in there." In late 1978, Ira went to a bookstore and asked for a book on mummification. And the bookstore owner didn't have the book he was looking for. That's creepy. Yeah. This is some of the evidence that the private detectives pulled up. Mm -hmm. In early 1979, the private detectives turned over all this information to the police in Philadelphia. Then police chief Michael Chitwood said the information in their reports, quote unquote, read like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. The, the reports, the detectives, yeah. all this evidence they had pulled up. Yeah, that's creepy. They were able to obtain a search warrant, and on March 28, 1979, they entered Ira Einhorn's apartment. Upon their arrival, the foul smell just hit them in the face. It was the one that many of the neighbors had reported, and it wasn't difficult to find the source of the smell, which was Ira's bedroom closet. The closet had multiple locks on it. Mm-hmm. Suspicious. Mm-hmm. Michael Chitwood asked Ira if he had a key, and he, of course, said he didn't, so the door had to be pried open with a crowbar. Inside the closet was stacked with boxes from the floor to the ceiling, and one box had the name Maddox on it. Um, That's Holly's last name, just if you forgot. Inside the box, there was Holly's purse, her driver's license, her library card, just personal items. And then there was also a large trunk that nope. was locked with the padlock, kind of nope. like one of the trunks they have in Harry Potter. Nope. Once again, Michael Chitwood asked Ira if he had a key. I like that he just, like, still asked him if he uh, has a you key. just shooting like, a shot. He's just yeah. definitely not going to say. And once again, he said, no, I do not. Uh, the crowbar was used to pry the trunk open, and in the trunk, the police found Holly's mummified body covered in air fresheners and newspaper. When the police Which turned... Which clearly didn't work. No. Air fresheners clearly didn't work. Um, it didn't stop the blood from seeping through the, the downstairs floor. floor. Yeah. When the police turned to look at Ira, he simply stated, you found what you found. Uh, <laughs> the audacity of that man. Oh, I mean, what do you do at that point? Uh, he's like, well, there she is. Uh-huh. Ira Einhorn was immediately arrested and charged with murder. An autopsy would later confirm Holly's cause of death was head trauma, and other sources have listed it simply as blunt force trauma. So she was hit in the head uh, yeah. with some type of object. Probably a hookah. Or uh, probably. Pro- honestly. Based off how she was found, some reports believe that Holly was still alive when she was placed in the trunk. Ugh. It said her hands were kind of positioned up. Like she was trying to toward, get out. Yeah. 
Ira Einhorn was set to go on trial for murder in 1981, and he faced the death penalty. Why do I feel like he was, like, one of these, you know, celebrity guys where he probably got, like, all sorts of love letters oh. when he was in jail? Oh, he probably did, but yeah. we don't go to jail for a long time because um, you'll see. Oh. You'll see. Unsurprisingly, Ira maintained his innocence, although his defense was just a bit unusual. And the fact that, like, when they found her body, he was just like, well, there it is. Well, there she is. Oh, yeah, the, that's where I left but he, her. But he's going to say he was innocent? Mm-hmm. Well, he said that he had been framed by the CIA, the FBI, or possibly the KGB. And he knew too much about things like weapons, um, development of uh, war weapons and things like that, government conspiracies, and Holly was killed and the murder was pinned on him to discredit him. Sure. Right, right, right. He also suggested at one point that Holly had an affair with someone who worked at the CIA and that might provide a motive for them to kill her and frame him. But, but boy, <laughs> but okay. how do you explain that you have this awful smell coming from your apartment for, for months yeah, and you, don't, while. you like, don't check to see if she's dead? and You don't call the police and say, hey, I think there's a dead body in my apartment just, and I'm being framed. You just sit with it? Mm-hmm. In fact, the trunk Holly's body was found in, according to Ira, normally held, quote-unquote, secret reports about KGB and CIA mind control experiments. Kids, this is what drugs does to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. These are the kinds of stories that come out of you when you've done drugs. Mm -hmm. In addition to what the private detectives had already found, he was also accused of attacking two of his ex-girlfriends when they tried to leave him, just like Holly had recently done. His diaries corroborate. (laughs) corroborated (laughs) his diaries corroborated both these stories and his general violent nature it it was known that he was not nice to females and physical abuse yeah he has a history he reportedly also asked two of his friends to help him quote unquote get rid of the trunk which i guess they said no so like good on them yeah I don't also, want. I don't also, want your smelly trunk. Also, when he asked them, they probably should have been like, "Hey, our friend's trying to ask us to help him dispose of a trunk, and we just feel like we should tell somebody." Right. Earlier on in his life, Ira had given himself the nickname "the Unicorn," um, which we said earlier means one horn in German. And after his arrest, people began calling him the Unicorn Killer, which I'm sure he just loved. Oh yeah, you know he ate that he, up. He ate that up. He could have been called the smelly dumpster man, but they missed out on that one. Even though plenty of people in Philadelphia now hated Ira, he still had influential friends who stuck by him. And after his arrest, his bail had been set to $40,000. That's low. It's low for someone charged with first-degree murder. um, But one of his wealthy acquaintances ended up paying it, and he was released on bail in May of 1979. And this is where some of our problem starts i still don't understand how people with the first degree murder charge even are allowed bail i don't i don't understand the government or our just uh justice system maybe, i don't know maybe it was a CIA. Who knows? then a few weeks before his 1981 trial was set to start because he was got out on bail he just disappeared yep i could have told you that mm-hmm. he was on the run and uh, but he wasn't completely off everyone's radar, and over he, the years, he's, too, he's he's way too arrogant to just totally disappear. Right, and like I said, he's this big old guy. He's hard to stinky. miss. Stinky. Over the years, sightings of him were reported in Canada, England, Ireland, and Sweden. 
1987, he married a Swedish woman named Anika Flodden. And in the early 1990s, he told Anika his real name and that he was a fugitive, but that he was innocent of the crime he was being accused of, and she kind of just went with that and stuck by his side. At one point, the couple lived just four blocks from a police station. Okay. And anytime someone grew suspicious or a former girlfriend or uh, a friend tipped them off, the couple would just pack up their things and leave out. They were always one step ahead of the law. And she just doesn't think that's suspicious. No. Just every time you just keep moving. Mm-hmm. Sure. In 1992, a law was passed that made it legal to try suspects in... Go ahead and say that word for me. Absentia? Sure. This Absentia? Is, mm-hmm. This is basically, it just looks, it is what it sounds like. Uh, a person can be tried in court of law even if they aren't there. And the following year, Ira Einhorn went on trial for the murder of Holly Maddox, despite not being present in the building where the trial took place. And he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. But, Which I imagine means that... If he was found, he would go. he's now taken mm-hmm. straight to jail versus he's taken to court. Right. They're like, dude, we already did the court stuff without you. Mm-hmm. You're just going straight to jail. Meanwhile, Ira and Anika, they just settled in a cute little village on in the western part of France. They're now in France. Ira posed as an English mystery writer named Eugene Mallon, which was an identity he stole from a bookstore owner that he had met in Ireland who had previously helped him out. So... A little false life going on. Yep. He'd also previously used the alias Ben Moore, which he got from a paint can. (laughs) From Benjamin Moore? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Still creative. Mm -hmm. Still a popular paint brand. While in France, Ira even protested a proposed nuclear facility in the area. So he's still keeping up with He's still doing his hippie. Yep. But one man in particular wasn't giving up on finding Ira Einhorn, and that was Richard D. Benedetto. We're just going to call him Richard D. because I'm sure I butchered that name. But he was an investigator with the Philadelphia District's Attorney's Office, and he was determined to track Ira down. The year Ira escaped, Richard D. became a first-time father, and this gave him even more motive to find Ira and get justice for Holly and for her parents. Unfortunately, they were never able to see Ira captured because Fred Maddox took his own life in 1988, and his wife, Elizabeth, died of emphysema in 1990. Oh, that's sad. But Richard D., he never gets... Is it okay that I'm calling him Richard D.? Yeah, I guess. Okay. Richard D. Uh, never gave up on Holly, and it eventually paid off. In May of 1997, Richard got yet another tip on Ira Einhorn's whereabouts, because he's just moving all across Europe. Ira's wife, Anika, had applied for a French driver's license under the name Anika Flodden Malin. And that last name, Malin, was what had tipped off Richard Uh since he recognized it as the bookstore uh, seller Ira had known, and he figured Ira had stolen his identity. So upon this revelation, Richard contacted the French police, and on the morning of June 13th, 1997, they did a little knock on Ira's door. Despite giving his name as Eugene Mallon, he was immediately arrested and taken to prison. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they recognized him. And his identity identity was later confirmed through fingerprints. And after 16 years on the run, I mean, 16. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a smart guy. He did yeah. teach at Harvard. A now 57-year-old Ira Einhorn had been caught. But getting him back to the U.S. was anything but easy. 
In the fall of 1997, a French court ruled Ira couldn't be extradited because of a law that said people couldn't be sent back to the country they'd come from if they'd been convicted of a crime in, hit me with that word, absentia, unless they were granted a new trial because the death penalty was illegal in France. So they're not going to like send somebody back to be, to like, be executed. Figured if you were the French also, government, France, you're, aren't you the one who created the guillotine? Right. Like, shouldn't you not have know. such strict views of that based on your past? But also, I just feel like they'd be like, oh, this American, just send him back, whatever. We don't have time to deal with him, but whatever. Um, they also refused to send him back unless the death penalty would be taken off the table for a new trial. <laughs> okay, France. Uh huh. I feel like they're trying to call the shots, and it's like he, no, he is ours, and he did something, and we need him back. Thank you. Yeah. Ira had also gained some supporters in France who thought who fought for this. They didn't. They didn't like his trial of like that whole absence trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't yeah, there. Yeah. Ira was eventually released on bail and continued to maintain his innocence, still insisting that he was the victim of framing and a government conspiracy. I like after sixteen years, he's still like. And after running, like if it really, whatever. <laughs> he's like, I'm. I'm just gonna go with it. I said it once. Um, that's my. Story, you found what and you I'm found. Sticking to it. You found what you found. Surprisingly, Ira didn't flee this time. In July of 1999, a French court ruled that Ira could be extradited to the U.S. for a new trial. And the night before he was set to leave, he actually tried to slit his throat, and requested to speak to reporters. This was an apparent suicide attempt. But he did survive. It was a failed attempt. And the next day, July 20th, 2001, he arrived back in the U.S. Ira's new trial began in September of 2002, where he still maintained his innocence. But he was now saying he didn't know how Holly's body ended up in his apartment, which was my question initially. If you're saying the government did it, how do you not realize she's in your apartment and decaying? I don't know. His wife, Anika, now going by Anika Einhorn, stuck by his side but only metaphorically because she did not want to travel back to the U S for his trial because she would, she knew she would get a lot of negative attention and she was afraid that she would be arrested for aiding an American fugitive. Which I think there's laws about if it's your spouse, they can't, there's something about spousal. Yeah. Anika probably didn't know. She doesn't seem like she She knows a lot. She doesn't seem like the brightest girl. On October 18th, 2002, Ira Einhorn was found guilty of the murder of Holly Maddox and sentenced to life without parole. And so he was downgraded from mm-hmm. the death penalty. Yep. In April 2016, Ira was transferred to a minimum security prison where they mostly kept older or terminally ill inmates. Because he's pretty old at that point, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I it was, map, they but... never gave a specific reason for that transfer, but on April 3rd, 2020... So, so very recently, last, last year. Ira Einhorn died in prison of cardiac problems at the age of 79. And that is where, that's how the unicorn killer. That is wild. And the whole conspiracy, you know, he thinks it was a conspiracy that he was framed. Like, just give me one fact that leads to that. Uh, right. Uh, just because you're, you know, seemingly you're smarter than popular that. does not mean mm-hmm. anything. No. My favorite thing from the whole story is when they opened the closet and the body was there and they turned around and looked at him. He was like, you found what you found. That, that, I mean, that to me, guilty. Done. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he got what he deserved. He sat the rest of his life in prison and then he's now, I wonder not, what, uh, he's now dead. what Mrs. Einhorn's up to. Well, yeah, what's she doing? Who knows? 
Mrs. Unicorn Horn. Mrs. Unicorn. So that's a tiny tale we hope you enjoyed. Let us know if you like these tiny tales. I'm looking at the time right now, and Hannah, we did a pretty good job. This is probably one of our shorter episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it qualifies as tiny, but it is shorter. It is tiny compared it, to our tiny, other tales. Tiny in our standards all right um that means we have another episode coming out next tuesday it'll be your normal length episode we will and until then stay spooky stay spooky stay scary stay hungry stay hungry and then bring you more stories behind the stories don't kill your girlfriend and put her in your closet and blame it on the cia when blood starts dripping from the ceiling into your neighbor's apartment and then they tell you and then i don't know just don't don't do it Bye. bye